0: All right, we are continuing in a series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks now. It's entitled Good Ground. And if you're just now joining us, you can go to our website, weareimpact.com, and go to the media section there. You can go back and watch, the, watch or listen to the first two weeks of this series. But we're talking about a, 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 a parable from the book of Mark chapter 4. It's, it's a story there where Jesus is using a lesson called a parable. And, and really what a parable is, it's a, it's a little illustrated story that It seems to be talking about one thing, but he's using that story to teach us a spiritual lesson about something else. You might have heard during the video announcements that coming up in November, we have something that we get really excited about here at Impact Church. It's called At The Movies. And during At The Movies, I literally, we literally do what Jesus did. We take modern day movies, most of the time it's movies that have come out in the last year or so. And I go through and break down parts of the movie, and I kind of do some ad lib and teach a lesson using that movie to show us a spiritual truth that God wants to show us in our lives. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. I believe if Jesus was around today, he would use movies, and he'd use videos and other things to teach us lessons, because he wants the lesson to stick and not just get away from us. Well, he's having this, this time where he's teaching, and he's using a parable to teach. And when he gets done using this parable to teach, the disciples come up to him, and they say privately... We didn't quite understand that. We didn't quite get what you were saying. We we didn't connect the dots. Can you explain it a little bit further? And so in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, he begins to explain it. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? He says, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones that are sown on stony ground when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves, and so they only endure for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones that are sown among thorns. They are the ones that hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enters in, and it chokes the word, and the word becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones that are sown on good ground, those who hear the word and accept the word, and they begin to bear fruit. Some of them bear 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. Jesus is teaching this parable, and the subject of the parable that he's teaching, I want to remind you again, is the power of the word of God when it is sown into a human heart, but also Satan's relentless attempt to stop it. Can I tell you, Satan gets terrified when you sit down and start getting some word like this today. And so he tries everything he can. You can decide to watch TV, he don't bother you. You can decide to go get your nails done, he don't bother you. You decide to go to church, or you decide to pray, you decide to read your Bible, and everything in the world tries to show up to stop you. Why? He's trying hard to keep this word from getting into your heart. There are three different elements that are involved in this process. The sower is the preacher. So today I'm the preacher, I'm the sower, I'm the one who's sowing some word into your heart. The seed he talks about in this parable is the actual word of God. So when you think about the Bible, whether you brought a Bible with you or the scriptures that show up on the screen, this Bible is more than just a good history book. It's more than just a good book of lessons. It's more than just a good book that, you know, we ought to uh, try to gain some values from it. This is a book, watch this, of promises. This is God's love letter to you. And there's a bunch of promises in this book that we need to grab hold of and take to heart. And we need to think of it as a bag of seed. So right now, even as I'm ministering to you today, as I'm sharing this word with you today, think about me having a handful of seed, and I'm getting ready to sprinkle this into your heart. And God's goal is for this seed to get down into your heart so you can have some productivity in your life. You ought to say amen like you believe that today. The third element that, that we talk about here is the ground, and the ground represents the condition of the human heart. Now, there are four different places that the seed or the word can land. It can land on a place called Wayside, by the wayside. Last week, Pastor Bluen did a masterful job of teaching you about sea that falls by the wayside. I would have been here, but I was on a cruise in Alaska. <laughs> so I hope you all had a good time, but I had a good time too. Thank you all so much for, for being a blessing to us and sending us on that cruise. Last week Pastor Pastor Blue and talked about seed that falls by the wayside. And anytime the word is being sown like it is right now, hear me out. I want you to pay attention because the devil's gonna try to distract you while I'm teaching this. He's gonna try to get somebody to text you to tell you something going on. Your fantasy football thing is gonna pop up on your phone, and you're gonna find out somebody's not playing today. And the enemy's gonna try to use anything he can to get you distracted because if you get distracted, watch this the word doesn't get into your heart, it falls by the wayside. It's like having good seed, and instead of putting it on the ground, you drop it on the sidewalk. But that seed does nothing. There's, there's no benefit. We might as well have just kind of stayed at home and just enjoyed ourselves at home because if we don't let the word get into our hearts, then it can't have the production God wants it to have. Well, the second place that the, the seed can fall is on stony ground. We're going to talk about that today. The third place is on something called thorny ground or, or um, among thorns. And then the best place of all is where we started off talking about, which is good ground. Every one of our hearts today, hear me out, is either going to be a heart where the seed is falling by the wayside, or we got a heart that is falling on stony ground. We've got a heart that is falling among thorns, or my prayer is we've got a heart that has grown to become good ground. Because when our heart is good ground, watch this, not only do you hear the word, but you start seeing it work in your life. Anybody want to see the word work in your life? Can I just say, we don't come to church just to soothe our conscience, make us feel better. We come to church with an expectation. If I hear the word, if I do the word, if I put to practice what God has said, come on, somebody, God's got a plan for my life that's better than the one I'm walking in right now. And we want to start seeing more production in our lives. We started off the first, we give you the ultimate goal, which is good ground. We told you what that looks like. You can go back and and listen or or watch that message if you didn't catch it. Last week, we looked at what happens when seed falls by the wayside. And as I said today, we're going to tackle Seed landing on stony ground So let's go to mark chapter 4 again I want to reread two verses And highlight a few things as we read it Verse 16 and 17 says These likewise are the ones Or the seed that is sown on Stony ground Everybody shout stony ground ground. Everybody shout stony ground ground. Who when they hear the word Immediately they receive it With gladness In other words they hear the word and they go Oh that's good praise God Come on preach bishop Shout, praise God, hallelujah. Oh, that's the best word I've ever heard. I've learned more in this church in the last two months than I learned in 20 years going to church. That's what happens when we get the word and we receive it with gladness. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's how we ought to receive the word. I said, that's how we ought to receive the word. In fact, somebody ought to be shouting, preach, bishop, right now. It works better when you do it without me asking you to do it. (laughs) But when we receive the word with gladness, the Bible says... But the problem is they receive it with gladness. Here it is. But they have no root in themselves. And as a result of that, they endure only for a time. And then afterward, afterward means that the devil is willing to wait. He didn't mind you being excited for a little while. He didn't mind you coming to a new church, getting excited, talking about how great your church is because he thinks he can wait you out. He thinks he can wait till the excitement wears off and then hit you with something that's going to get you completely off track. But I got news for the devil. He messed around and let you come to Impact Church today. Uh, Come on, you better get a little bit more excited than that. Because by the time you leave here today, man, you're going to realize what you've been going through. You're going to realize why the enemy's been trying to come against you. You're going to also realize that you have what it takes to overcome every attack he throws your way. Can I get an amen, somebody? Can I get an amen, somebody? So it says, afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, here it is, for the word's sake. Which means the only reason why the devil's attacking is because you're getting some word that's making you dangerous. I've told you before, the devil doesn't mind you going to any church. There's some churches he has no problem with you going to. In fact, he would pay the cab fare to get you there. But when you start going to a church where you're going to actually be taught the word of God... And you become a a master surgeon, knowing how to take that word and dissect it and use the sword of the spirit to get the enemy off of you. And not only why says you start getting the enemy off of you, you start helping other people around you get free too. Well, the Bible says affliction and persecution ends up showing up for the word's sake. And if we don't have enough maturity, immediately they stumble. The King James Version says immediately they are offended. Here's something I want you to note. If Satan can't keep you from getting the word, the next thing he'll try to do is he'll wait until the initial excitement wears off to see if you've really made a commitment to that word. You don't mind you showing up at church. That's why I tell you, thank God you ought to to come here and and visit. And and I tell people all the time, don't you don't have to join the first time you come here. I think you ought to wait a little while. You ought to make sure you can handle me because I'm a lot. (laughs) I don't tiptoe around subjects, man. I'm, I'm gonna give it to you straight. And Everybody can't handle it. You know, we're a church that's so loving and full of grace. We're also a church that believes in giving the truth. Anybody like the truth? So I believe that you ought to take your time and make sure, you know, committing to a church is a big commitment. I think it's the second biggest commitment or third biggest commitment after commitment to Christ, commitment to a spouse. The third biggest commitment you make is what church you go to because what church you go to determines what words you're being taught and it can make the difference. Hear me out between life or death based on what you have in your heart. So, you ought to take your time. Watch this, but you ought not take forever. At some point, after you've been visiting for a while, you got to go ahead and make a commitment. Because what happens is if all you ever do is show up and just hear the word and get excited about it and say what good message you got at church, but you never make a commitment to it, which means you don't ever go to the growth track. Become a member of the church. Don't ever actually take the next step and go to small group and become a part of a small group. And then maybe get plugged in and start serving. Maybe go to step five. What the enemy will do is try to sit back to wait and realize that you're still just a baby. You don't have enough commitment to the word yet. And he'll try to bring affliction and persecution your way to knock you off and take you out. That's why when I first started going to our church in the Detroit church, we came from in Detroit. It's called Word of Faith. My wife went there as a teenager. And then we met in college and then we came home from, from, from uh, breaking college. She took me to her church, Word of Faith. It radically changed my life. So just like some of you have an impact story, I had a Word of Faith story, man. <laughs> my life got radically changed, and I had never heard a pastor, and it's, it's, it's sad to say it when I look back. I had been going to church my whole life. I was 20 years old at the time. I had been going to church my entire life, but I had never heard a pastor stand and just teach the Bible like I'm teaching you right now. No, 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 nothing against the church that I had gone to. I thank God for those that gave me a head start. But I had always gone to churches where the, the pastor would stand up. First of all, the choir would sing a, a mini concert every week. You know what I'm talking about, an A selection, a B selection, a D selection, a E selection, and an OP selection. And then the pastor would get up and, and, and read one scripture, a text, close the Bible up, take off and talk intelligently maybe for 10, 12 minutes, and then just holler and scream the rest of the time. The organ would be blaring, everybody's shouting, everybody's getting happy, and everybody walked out saying, didn't we have a time at church today? But we weren't being taught anything. And so when I first came to Word of Faith, it was the first time I had a pastor actually teach and use illustrations and examples and connect the dots to where I walked out feeling like, man, I have learned so much. Things I didn't even realize were in the Bible. And I was so hungry that every time the doors opened, I was at church. If they were having something, I was there. And I wasn't there in the back. I wasn't there getting there, you know, you know, 40 minutes after service started. I was there early. I would sit as close as the ushers would let me sit. If I could get on the front row, I'm sitting on the front row. If they had that one with a bunch of reserve tags on it, well, I'm going to get on the second row then. Why? Because I wanted to press in close. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to get everything God has to me. And I remember some people saying, ah, oh, he's just excited because it's new. That's going to wear off. Well, this has been 30-plus years it had not worn off yet. Come on, you still out there? I remember being a little kid, man, and growing up in Detroit. And somewhere around like 1976, 1977, Detroit had this, this tree planting project. where they went throughout the whole city, and they were planting brand new trees in neighborhoods. And I remember right out in front of my house, they planted a brand new tree. If you've ever seen a, a new tree planted, it's not strong enough to stand up by itself, so they brace it up. They put these little braces on every side of it. Because they know that because the tree is so new, it doesn't have any roots. I'm teaching something here. It doesn't have any roots, and it's easy for that new tree to get taken out. So they brace it up, because they know that if they don't brace that tree up, then if a a good storm comes through and a nice wind blows, that wind can blow that tree to the side. If it rains too much and the ground gets saturated, that tree can start leaning. If you have a bunch of six or seven-year-olds and want to see if they can move it around, like we used to do, (laughs) you can move that tree around. Why? Because it's been brand-new planted. And it doesn't have any deep roots. Well, I, anytime I go back home to Detroit, if I have a couple days, I usually drive around, go look at my old neighborhood, go look at where April grew up. And even though we all had those brand new trees planted 40 plus years ago, those trees that were brand new 40 years ago, if they survived, now they're no longer a little skinny tree. Those trees now have a big, huge trunk. Come on, somebody. Come on, those trees now have some deep roots. Come on, somebody. Those trees now have big, long branches. They now have a lot of leaves. They now provide shade for a whole neighborhood. Well, see, what the devil is afraid of is that you might be a little small tree today because you're just getting started or you're just coming to a church where you're being taught the word but if you hang around here long enough and you do all the things we've asked you to do for a solid year you're going to end up having some roots that run deep and you're going to have a trunk that starts to get thick you're going to have some branches that branch out and you're going to become shade for family members and coworkers and everybody around you is going to know that God has been good in your life come on and shout like you believe that's true so what does the enemy do? He tries to use something called affliction and persecution while you're a young tree, while you're not planted, You're excited, but you don't have any roots yet. So he tries to find something that can get you offended, that can get you off track, get you distracted, because he's trying to knock you off your post before your roots end up getting deep. What does he use? He uses two things that the Bible calls affliction and persecution. Let me define those. Persecution is what we know as pressure that is brought upon you by people. Persecution is pressure that comes from people. Persecution is when you, you just mind your own business trying to serve God, and you got that one coworker that just don't like you for, for no good reason. And they're trying to pull out of you that old side of you that you tried to crucify. You know what I'm talking about. You know there's a part of you that is not always dead. He's just kind of in a coma right now. And given the right stimuli, <laughs> he or she can arise again. Persecution is when you got that one coworker, that one family member that just keeps prodding you, keeps talking junk. Because they, they know you're a Christian, so they, they believe that, that you turned the other cheek. They don't realize you struggle with that scripture a little bit. <laughs> and so they're constantly bothering you, constantly poking and prodding you, constantly talking about you. Or the family members that they don't invite you to anything now because you, you're not as fun as you used to be in their mind. They were okay when you were coming to church, but still doing all the stuff you used to do in the world. They didn't mind that. But now that you've gotten real and serious about your walk with Christ, now watch this. You start feeling lonely. You start feeling isolated. You start feeling like I had more fun before I got saved. That's the pressure that the enemy brings upon you while you're still a young, tender tree. Because he's trying to see if he can get you to go ahead and get knocked over, get offended, give up on this journey you're on before you get strong enough to really get some deep roots. The other thing that he talks about is affliction. Affliction is pressure that is brought upon you by circumstances. Pressure that is brought upon you by circumstances. You're a brand new believer or you're brand new to the church and you're getting plugged in. You're finally starting to meet some people. You start serving. Then all of a sudden you start having all this stuff happening in your family when when your kids start acting crazy and you start getting hearing rumors at work that they may be laying some people off and... You're, you're, the, the place you've been living in, everything's been going great, but all of a sudden, the, the owner decides they want to sell it. Now, you got to figure out where you're going to live. and Or you 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 go to the doctor for a routine checkup, and they think they might see something, and, and your money starts getting funny. And, and before you know it, you start having all this pressure, and it feels like the walls are closing in on you. And what the enemy is hoping that you will do is go back to whatever vice you used to turn to when you got hit with pressure. He's hoping you'll go back to drinking heavy again He's hoping you go back to the drugs you used to go to. He's hoping you go back to, you know, just appeasing yourself with some kind of sex or pornography or something. He's hoping he can get you to go back to something that you used to go to. And what he uses is pressure. And the pressure that he tries to apply to your life is ultimately designed to get you to give up and quit. Come on, say amen like I'm preaching good. And what we got to do is not be ignorant of his device. We got to know what he's trying to do and not let him get away with it. Because the Bible says if we don't understand what he's doing, we could end up being offended. The word offended comes from a Greek word, scandalizo. It's where we get our English word scandal from. And it means to entrap, to trip up, or to cause to stumble, or entice to sin or displeasure. So he thinks he can put enough pressure on you to get you tripped up, get you enticed, get you heading in a direction that cause you to mess up because he thinks if he can get you to mess up, then you're going to feel so guilty. You're going to stay away from church. You're going to stop returning people's calls. Come on, talk to me, somebody. You're going to get in the bed and be depressed for a while. You're going to go back to the, the lifestyle and habits you used to have before you came to the things of God. And he's hoping he can get you to go so far in that direction that he would have just plucked up this tree that would have been a big tree down the line, but he's trying to take you out while you're still a small tree. Let me read to you Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We already read earlier in Mark 4. And earlier in the chapter, earlier in the day, Jesus is teaching his disciples this lesson. And later in that same day, watch this, they get a chance to act on what he just said. So watch this. He's teaching them the lesson early in the day. Later on that same day, the devil comes for the word's sake to see if he can get them to let go of that word. I'm, I'm telling you because it's early in the day right now. I am teaching you a lesson right now. And there's a good chance that before you get to the parking lots, enemy's going to come and test to see if you really have grabbed hold of this word or if you're going to let some pressure get you to let go of what God just taught you. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, on the evening of that same day, everybody say the same same day. Jesus said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Jesus issued some word. The word he says is, we're going to the other side of the lake. How many know that anytime God gives you a word, there's enough power in that one word to to deal with any challenges that come against you? So Jesus says, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd. They got into the boat that Jesus was already sitting in. They took him with them. Other boats were there too. And suddenly a strong wind blew up and the waves began to spill over into the boat so that it was about to fill with water. Jesus was in the back of the boat, sleeping with his head on a pillow. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care we're about to die? Jesus stood up and commanded the wind and said, Be quiet. Then he said to the waves, Be still. The wind died down, and there was a great calm. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so frightened? Do you still have no faith? Notice that the Bible says that Jesus issued a word, which is, let's go to the other side. And isn't it ironic or not that as soon as he issues word, let's go to the other side, a storm shows up to try to stop them from going to the other side. That's because, hear me out, anytime God starts putting word in your heart, the enemy's got to show up to see if that word is really getting planted all the way or if it's just sitting on the surface. And so he shows up for the word's sake. Yes, the reason why some of the problems you're going through right now are happening is because you've gotten committed to the word and the devil's trying to test to see if you're going to really stay the course and stay with the word. That's why when you start getting word on finances and prosperity and how God wants to bless your life, the enemy will show up with a financial crisis. Try to attack you in your finances to see if you're going to stay with tithing, stay with doing what the Bible says, or if you're going to go back to doing it the way you used to. You ought to say amen like I'm preaching good. Amen. You start getting the word on long life and how God wants you to be healthy. And then will try to show up with a, it might be this going on. Wow, he's trying to see if he can get you so discouraged, so depressed that you stop pressing in. He always shows up for the word's sake. Listen to this. The ultimate goal of pressure in life is to shut you up and to slow you down. That's the reason why we've got to learn how to trouble our trouble. Well, you got to push back, trouble your trouble. (laughs) In other words, since we know that pressure is coming after we receive the word and we know that we're not going to give up the word. we got to train ourselves on how to overcome and win over the pressures of life. Because something that happens when the pressure shows up and you do it the word's way instead of your own way, you start to develop deeper roots. Every time you have a problem, a challenge, a pressure that shows up, and you do it the word's way, you make it to the other side. Your roots get deeper. And then you go through something else, and, and instead of panicking, instead of quitting, instead of getting depressed and giving up on God and stop coming to church and, and, and stop returning people's calls, you, you press through it. Even if you got to cry your way through it, but you do it the word's way you see that God is faithful every single time. Come on, man. And your roots get a little bit deeper, man. Before you know it, you do that enough times, you end up with deep roots, and then you get to the space, where you say to the devil, you you better bring something harder than that. Because you already know you have a determination that is not going to give up easily. So how do we develop that type of persistence? Number one, you got to make a decision to operate in courage. If you're going through a tough time, if the enemy is attacking you in some way, if he's attacking your family, attacking your marriage, or maybe you just blown, you've messed up. You still got to come back, and instead of giving up and quitting, you got to decide to operate in courage. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Tribulation is another one of those words that means pressure. In the world, you're going to have some pressures, but he said, but be of good cheer. If you look up that phrase, be of good cheer, it comes from a Greek word, tharsete. It means to have courage or to exercise courage in the face of danger. Let me, let me see by a show of hands, how many of you right now are going through something really tough? Be honest. On, look. look around and see that you're not the only one that's going through something. Look around. No, I want you to look around. Look around and see because the devil will lie to you and make you think you're the only person that's dealing with something. But now watch this. The Bible says if you're going through something that's causing you a lot of pressure in the world, you're going to have some pressure. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. He said, exercise some courage. In other words, do what that woman did in the Bible in Mark chapter 5 that had the issue of blood. She had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent every dollar she had. No doctor could help her out. But she had enough courage that even though she was supposed to stay at home because she was considered unclean, because she was having this continual menstrual cycle, she in fact could have been stoned to death for being out there in public if anybody saw her out there. She had enough courage to say, I know I'm not supposed to be out here, but if I can just get to Jesus, come on, man, (laughs) it takes some courage to say, if I can just get to the presence of God, if I can just get around the other saints and the other believers, man, she pressed her way to get there. It's kind of like the Shunammite woman who she had got, God blessed her with a son. She had been believing for a son for years. God blessed her with a son. Her son grows up. Her son has a heat stroke. Comes into the house, lays on her lap, and dies. You talk about being discouraged. He lays on her lap and dies. But instead of her giving up and saying it's all over, she said, get the, get the, get the carriage ready. I want you to head, take me to the prophet's house. And they said, why do you want to go to the prophet's house? They said, don't worry about it. It'll be all right. When she heads to the prophet's house, the prophet looks at her coming and he says, there's something wrong with her. The Lord hadn't told me what it is. So the prophet asks her, is everything okay with you? She says, yeah is everything okay with your husband yeah is everything okay with the boy she said this her her son is at home dead this is what she said it is well how many know it takes courage to declare that things are well when it's not well uh you're being too quiet today you're being too cute just how many know it takes courage to call those things that be not as though they were It takes courage when your whole world is falling apart to still shout and praise God. It takes courage to come to church when everything in you wants to stay at home and get into bed, man. You got to make a decision. It doesn't just happen naturally. You have to decide to operate in courage. It is a decision you make. Understand this. Courage does not mean an absence of fear. Courage means it means refusing to let that fear dictate your actions. Courage means I'm getting up anyway. I don't feel like it, but I'm getting up. Courage means there's nothing funny. I'm going to laugh anyway. Ha, 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 ha. Courage means I feel like crying, but instead I'm going to lift my hands and sing some worship songs. Courage means everybody has forsaken me and walked away from me, but I still got God on my side, and that's enough. I'm going to still bless them. It takes courage if you're going to press through the pressure. Here's another quote for you. In the face of pressure, we will either find ourselves encouraged or discouraged because there is no neutral ground. Now just going to hang out in the middle. We're going to either drift toward being discouraged or we're going to on purpose make a decision to do like, do like David did encourage yourself in the Lord. Look yourself in the mirror and just preach yourself a sermon all by yourself. Amen. And it'll move you to that place of being encouraged. Second thing we got to do, if we're going to win in the middle of pressure, you got to learn how to be patient in tribulation. Learn how to be patient. And I'm going exp- to explain to you what it means to be patient. A lot of us don't really understand what patience means. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul is writing. He said, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, he says this. He says, so that we ourselves, both of you among the churches of God, What are you boasting about, Paul? I'm boasting about your patience and your faith in all of your persecutions and in all of your tribulations that you endure. Paul says, I'm bragging everybody. I'm telling them how you're going through a whole bunch of stuff, but you are still on fire praising God. Paul said, I know what they're going through, but they're still showing up serving on their post. Come on, somebody. I I know what they're going through, but they're still up there on their worship team serving God. Paul said, I've been boasting and bragging because you've demonstrated some patience even in the middle of your pressure. Well, now, what is God talking about? Because clearly he's he's intimating that we have to learn how to be better at being patient in the middle of pressure. One reason why I think we struggle with being patient in the middle of pressure is because we don't really have a biblical understanding of patience. Can Can I tell you that being patient doesn't mean you're just waiting. I mean, if there's something that you don't have control over that you're trying to make happen and you don't have control to make it happen, you have to wait. So that don't mean that you're being patient. That means that you're being forced to wait. Let me, let me tell you what patience means. Patience means more than just waiting. It means to wait well. I mean, a lot of us don't wait well. Even in the natural, you don't wait well. Some of y'all are the people that are calling and call me every thirty seconds. I thought you was on your way. <laughs> I just texted you like forty-two seconds ago. <laughs> well, patience means to wait. Well, in fact, if you look up in the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for patience is hupomene, hupomene, and it means cheerful or hopeful endurance. Which means I'm not just enduring, but I'm enduring with a cheerful disposition. I mean, when you look at me, you can't even tell I'm going through anything. Why? Because I'm, I'm enduring with a cheerful or a hopeful endurance. Is hopeful because I actually believe that the way it is now is not how it's going to end up. Yeah. Patience means constancy. It literally means to abide under, which means if you were to break down that Hebrew word hupomene, hupo means under, and minnow or the, the root minnow means to abide. So it literally means to abide under. And it it means to continue living the same way despite your circumstance. And the emphasis is on remaining constant. In other words, it's learning how to not just be happy when you got a a check in the mail. It's learning learning how to still be happy, come on somebody, even when you got a bill in the mail. I only got about 18 amens on that one. It's learning, I've been, God has been saying the same thing for three weeks now. It's learning how to count it all joy. It's not joy, but I'm going to treat it like it is joy. See, that's what faith looks like. Faith doesn't mean taking your glasses off and stumping on them. That's not faith. That's stupid. You don't have to stump on your glasses to prove that God has healed your eyes. If God, when God heals your eyes, you'll know because you won't be able to see through those glasses. So faith doesn't mean that you got to do something radical to prove you believe Faith, part of faith is acting like it's so even before it shows up, which means have a good attitude, have a good disposition. Why? Because I know my God is on the case. I know my God is working it out. I know my God is up to something good. I know that the angels are working on my behalf. Since so many times believers don't just want the answer. They want some, some, some sympathy on the way to the answer. That's why you really got to watch, man. I, I think it's important for us to invite other people to pray with us, and sometimes it's even okay to post certain things on social media because you need people to pray, but watch what you post. Watch how you post. Yes. Don't post for the purpose of getting attention around your situation. Don't post for the purpose of getting everybody go, Oh, girl, I'm with you in that. I, I don't see how you can handle that. Or even worse, yeah, they did you wrong. Because what happens is when we started, start doing things to get attention, then it ends up allowing us to believe the lie of the enemy more than the promise of God. I'm preaching better than you are saying amen. amen. We got to learn how to wait well, even when it looks like nothing is happening in our situation. Can I tell you, even when you don't think anything is happening, God is working on something? Come on, man, you're too quiet. Can I tell you God is working on something even right now? I believe while you're here in church, praising God, God is working on your situation at home. He's talking to somebody on your job. He's talking about something to somebody. They're supposed to bless you. They're supposed to help you. They're supposed to sow into your life. They're supposed to make your situation easier. Even when it doesn't look like God is doing anything, God is up to something. Even when it looks like some situation changed overnight. It wasn't overnight. God had been working on it the whole time. Reminds me of the the, the Chinese bamboo tree. The story of the Chinese bamboo tree is if you go look it up, you, when you plant the Chinese bamboo tree, you can go for four to five years and it look like nothing's happening. You come back to that dirt and it looks like the exact same dirt. Nothing is happening. just barely a sprout coming out of the ground. But then when it starts sprouting, it grows as, 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 it grows as much as 90 feet in six weeks. Somebody say suddenly.) <laughs> That's going to hit in a minute. Some of you have been believing God for four or five years for something, maybe seven or eight years for something, maybe nine or ten years for something. But I'm here to tell you, there's a suddenly getting ready to hit your situation and what it looked like was going to take forever is getting ready to suddenly come up out of the ground. Suddenly you have production. Suddenly you got some healing. Suddenly the money shows up. Suddenly the bank says yes. Suddenly your kid turns around. Suddenly they come to their senses. You ought to shout like you believe it. What the devil tries to do is to get you focusing in on what it looks like right now instead of having your heart wrapped around what it's getting ready to become. Third thing you got to do is refuse to give the pressure more credit than it deserves. Stop giving it more credit than it deserves. Stop praising the problem and start praising your God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this is Paul talking. Paul said, for our present troubles, watch this. He said, they're small and they're not going to last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them, and that glory is going to last forever. Paul called his trouble. They asked him, how are you doing, Paul? He said, yeah, I got a few things I'm going through, but it is small. It's not going to last long. Paul, I heard I heard about what happened when you were in Thessalonica. Are you okay? He said, yeah, it's just small. It's not going to last long. And that, that doesn't make any sense to you. That doesn't really move you until you go back and read what Paul went through. If you go back and just read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do it later on. What you'll find is either, this is what Paul said. Paul said he was repeatedly put in prison. Not once or twice. He was constantly being put in prison, not because he stole some or murdered somebody, but simply for preaching the gospel. He was whipped by the Jews over and over. He said five times they gave me the, the maximum of 39 lashes they can give me. I mean, he's talking some Kunta Kente kind of stuff. <laughs> Getting beat. He said three different times they beat me with rods. He said, there's, there's several times, watch Says I was stoned. I don't mean that kind of stone. I mean, <laughs> hitting the head with a rock stone. And they left me for dead. He said, three different times I was shipwrecked. Which means I'm out on a boat going to a destination. And all of a sudden, there's no way for us to get to our destination. We're stuck out at sea. He said, there were several times I was hungry. I was thirsty, I was without food, and I, he said, I remember many times shivering at night, all night in the cold. Now, I know some of you have been going through something, but I don't think you've been in prison many times. Some of you like me, we not, I'm not built for prison. That's why I obey all the laws that I am not built for prison, man. I don't think you've been beaten over and over. In fact, if we get honest with ourselves, we ought to be thanking God that we're not shivering out in the cold we're not without food. Come on, somebody. We're not, th- we're not dying of, of stir, thirst. This is all the stuff Paul went through, but he, when they ask him, how you doing, Paul, instead of him saying, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> I've been serving God, and look what God let happen to me. They <laughs> say, Paul, how you doing? He said, yeah, I'm going through something, but it's small. It's not going to last long. It's almost over. I wonder what would happen when I say, if you start renaming your problems. I wonder if you thought about whatever your biggest problem is right now, and instead of treating it like a Fred Sanford problem. You know what a Fred Sanford problem is? It's the big one. <laughs> what if you renamed it small and momentary? <laughs> what if you start renaming it small and momentary? So That's what happened in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, verse 8. Paul said, we're pressed on every side by our troubles. He said, but we're not crushed. <laughs> We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. In other words, every time he talked about the bad side, he found the bright side in it. One of my brothers is that way. You know, uh, my brother Deshaun, he's five years younger than me, and we've been real close our entire lives. Grew up together, and uh, I was like a, a big brother father figure to him. And and so as we were growing up, man, we'd always have competitions, do stuff together. And I remember being adults here in Florida, and we, we used to play Madden when, when it first came out and became real popular. This is before you was playing with the headsets and people in another country and you talking to them. This is when you had to be in the same room and play. And I remember us sitting there playing, and we're battling out, going back and forth. I don't mean like at 17-year-olds. We're like 31 and, and 26. <laughs> and it's 2 in the morning, and we still playing Madden. And, and my brother was horrible at it, like Horrible horrible <laughs> and so I, i'd be beating him 75 to nothing but he's still fine the bright side you know i i i I'd on purpose back up and get a safety so he can get two points and then he'd be like well at least you didn't shut me out <laughs> i throw a long 60 yard touchdown on him and i'm running to the end zone doing an end zone dance he said but at least it wasn't 75 yards <laughs> And he he is still that way today. No matter what he's going through, he's going to find a way. Come on, somebody, to look on the bright side. Some of you need to find a way to look on your bright side. In fact, some of you ought to take about 30 seconds to praise God right now because he's still been good to you. Come on, y'all, to praise him like he's still been good to you. Like he's still been good to you. Like he's still being good to you. Listen to this. The pressure you're facing may not be light when you compare it to your strength, but it is very light when you compare it to God's ability. (laughs) Amen. Here's the last one. You got to realize that you are anointed to deal with pressure. Realize I'm anointed to deal with this. I can handle this. Stop saying I can't take any more of this. Yes, you can. You're anointed to deal with it. It's not God bringing it on you, but you have an anointing on you to deal with it. See, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives are going to be released, that the blind are going to see, and that the oppressed are going to be set free. Jesus said, my anointing is not so I can sit around and talk about how anointed I am. He said, I'm anointed to deal with pressure caused by poverty, brokenheartedness, bondage, blindness, and people that are bruised and hurt. See, as Christians, we got to recognize that the anointing that we crave so much, it puts us in a position where we have opportunities to attack pressure. We attack pressure in our own lives, but also we can attack pressure in the lives of the people around us. See, the more you grow spiritually, the greater the potential you have to walk in the anointing. And the more you walk in the anointing, the more opportunities you have to deal with pressure. Listen to this quote. Stop viewing pressure as an obstacle and start seeing it as an opportunity to showcase the goodness of God. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you downloaded the notes, you'll, you'll see right there in the notes. I'm not going to take time to go through it. But if you look in the notes, you'll see I looked at three different chapters and how in three different chapters, Jesus routinely found himself casting devils out of people, healing somebody's mother-in-law, casting the demon out of another group of people, opening the eyes of a couple blind men. Every day, somebody was bringing another problem to him. But Jesus recognized he's anointed to deal with problems and I got news for you, so are you. You got this. In fact, tell your neighbor, you got this. No, they didn't hear you. I said, tell them like you mean, you got this. If you really believe you got this, give the Lord a shout and a praise real quick. You got this. Last thing I want to leave you with is this. The Lord specifically told me to, to, to give you this today. Yesterday, I was at home, and I'm just kind of relaxing and watching a little football, and my youngest son, Kazan, who's ridiculously independent and takes care of his own business, he decides he wants to put some room darkeners up in his room, so he goes to Target. I tell him how to measure it out. He goes to Target, buys it with his own money, and comes home to put his room darkeners up. And I'm laying there watching the game. He didn't ask me to help him, so I didn't volunteer. (laughs) So he goes upstairs in his room, and after being up there about 15 minutes, I hear this, and they stop for a few minutes then I hear I'm like it don't take all that to put no room darkness up so finally I go upstairs and I walk in the room the room is dark first of all so he's doing all this in the dark and I look up on the wall where he's trying to put the 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 brackets up and it's like 20 holes in the wall Cause he's trying to find a stud and it's not going in far enough. And at one point he said, I just stopped drilling. I just started banging it with a hammer. <laughs> I said, son, I can help you. So I, I show him how to measure the hole outright, how to find a stud in the wall. And the one he had been working forever to put up, we got it put up real quick. Then the other one we put up, it took about 10 minutes to put it up and he had a mess all over the place from all the sawdust and everything. And I finally, you know, I said, son, you know, what are you doing? Why didn't you, why, why didn't you just ask me to help you? He said, well, I figured you would hear all the noise, and eventually you come up here. (laughs) (laughs) And as I was, true story, this morning as I'm getting out of the shower, getting ready to to come here to to minister, the Lord said, remind my children, talking about you all, that you all do the same thing. You sit around and take something in your life that is easy for him, you make it hard for you. Because you're trying to do it all by yourself. Not realizing why I says, you have a father who could help you with that. If you just open up your mouth and ask him to come on in and help me, daddy. Come on, you ought to pray. That's good. You ought to praise God. You ought to praise him. You ought to cast the care over on him. Stop trying to handle it all by yourself. Now, if you would grab that card that we told you about, that response card. Everybody grab one, please. This card represents every one of our spiritual conditions. If you put your name on it and the other basic information to ask for. But there's a little spot in the middle that says, my decision today. It's got an A, B, C, or D. And I'm going to ask you, when I call out your current spiritual state, would you bubble in the one that pertains to you? A is this. A says, I already have a solid, established relationship with Jesus Christ. That means if I were to die today, I know without a doubt I'd go to heaven I have no doubt about it. I don't plan on going anywhere today, but I know my life is right with God. If that's you, you bubble in A. B is this. Pastor, I heard this word today, and this is one of the first times I've ever heard the word taught so plainly like this. I know God loves me, and today I'm ready to begin. B, I'm ready to begin a brand new walk with Christ. If that's you, I want you to bubble in B. I'm ready to begin a new relationship with Jesus Christ. C is this. Pastor, I heard the word today, but I just need a little bit more time. I'm not saying I don't want to accept Jesus, but I really feel like I need a little bit more time to consider this decision. If that's you, just bubble in C see for me. And then there might be some of you in here. Every now and then I, I get people that, that fall into category D, and that is even though I have heard a great word today and I've been really welcome today, I don't ever plan on making a decision for Christ. I, I've kind of settled in my heart. This is what I believe. I don't ever plan on making a decision for Christ. If that's you, would you still have the courage to, Bubble in D, put your name on it. We're not going to harass you. You can just put your first name if you want to. But I'm going to hang on to your card personally. I'm going to pray for you all year long. Because I'm believing God that God's going to still protect you and watch over you and keep you. So if you already have a relationship with Christ, bubble in A. If you're ready today to begin a new walk with Christ, bubble in B. And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. If you need more time to consider, bubble in C. And if you don't ever plan on making that decision, would you just go ahead and bubble in D? Take a moment right now to do so. And in just a moment, we'll lead those that have bubbled in B that are ready to start a new walk with Christ today. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that's gonna change your life forever. And then on your way out, we we'll ask everybody to deposit those cards into the baskets that the ushers will have as you exit today. Every one of you that bubbled in B, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Everybody, bow your heads for a moment. If you bubbled in B, just whisper this at your seat. Say, Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I know He paid the price of my sin. You raised him from the dead, but I believe he's alive right now. Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me and forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact. Put your hands together.